Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. I'm Melissa Studdard, and I'd like to welcome you to Teferit Talk, the blog talk radio show for Teferit, a journal of spiritual literature, where our goal is to promote peace in the individual and in the world through writing. We support this goal by interviewing new and established writers and religious and spiritual leaders. In addition to listening today, you're invited to join our online community at www.tiferetjournal.com. That's www.tiferetjournal.com, where you can read and post writings, interact with other members, and subscribe to the journal. We'd also like to let you know that our Blog Talk chat room is currently open if you would like to chat with other listeners or suggest questions. Our interview tonight is with Robin Rice, mentor, contemporary shaman, and founder of both the Awesome Women Hub and Be Who You Are Productions. Rice is the author of The American Nanny, A Hundred Ways to Sunday, Venus for a Day, Shapeshifting Beauty, and many other books. One of Rice's clients recently stated, Robin is a weaver of contemporary and ancient soul knowledge, a woman with a big picture and a true thinker who is excited about life. She amplifies the stories of the good and important and works towards an even greater good and a larger whole. She is a voice in the wilderness. Hi, Robin. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. What an intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it's you. <laughs> so they say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, bask in it. It's wonderful. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, I want to go ahead and start um, by asking you about your concept of living fiction. Um, your novel, 100 Ways to Sunday, is such a unique book, uh, and it's something that you refer to on your website as living fiction, and I think your other books as well. And I was wondering if you could just explain the concept and also a little bit of what went into composing the book. Sure. Well, uh, you know, there really isn't a term for the kind of books that I write. Um, what I'm writing is fiction that uh, tries to activate the soul. And so as you read and as you identify with the character and their experiences and their awakening and their, their growth, you actually get drawn into that awakening yourself. And so a lot of people have very mystical experiences and enhanced dreams and um, kind of feel like the characters are moving with them. And, and that was, you know, by design. I designed the books to do that. I, I didn't know how well it would work. <laughs> it works really, really well. <laughs> but that was the intention, and it actually did work really, really well. So um, so that's that's kind of living fiction in a nutshell. I had to find a way to try to describe it because people were having these experiences and um and so it wasn't your average ordinary, you know, just reading to escape novel. Um but there was like I said there wasn't really a place on the bookshelf for it. There wasn't any, you know, titles like that. So although I think there's other books that I would call living fiction. For example, you know, like uh Jonathan Livingston Seagull or The Alchemist or, you know, um you know, some of the books along those lines that really do also activate you. 
Okay, great. And actually, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you, so perfect. Um, well, you know, I have to say I did also have a mystical dream when I read the book, so um, it's it's absolutely true what you say. And um, I'm wondering what, um, if if you can unravel it, I know sometimes it's kind of difficult with something like that, but it, are there any specific techniques that you used or anything that, um, that you felt helped um, create that experience for the reader? Well, there's the mystical side and the technical side. And the mystical side, of course, is going to be very hard to explain. Um, as a right. contemporary shaman, a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, the energy that I'm embodying and, and evoking, and that's that's a very, very big topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> on, on a technical side, because I know you have a lot of writers in your, in your um, crowd, uh, I would say yeah. that I see it as one of my tasks is to have um, on every single page, if uh, you should have a question that's turning it, I actually say this is a lot like life, that you either have a, a problem to solve or an adventure to follow on every single page. So even if I solve an early, uh, a, a smaller dilemma, I've got to have created a bigger one before then. And so getting into that and getting into those bigger dramas and bringing in the sensuality of every page so that you can taste it and you can feel it, that's really what draws people into the story and then talking about some of the really big life. I mean, I, the 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 voice I hear in my head whenever I write is "make it bigger," and I, I sometimes I think I can't possibly contain how big it is. Um, and uh, and so making it bigger, making it more archetypal, making it more relevant to anyone's journey is also very magical. So that you can fit yourself right in there, and and it, we seem to hit on things that that everyone struggles with in a very deep way. Okay, wonderful. And I know also for me a couple of things that added to that were um, the CD um, that you had that accompanies the book. Um, I think that just, well, actually, would you talk a little bit about how you came up with the idea of having the guided drumming journey to accompany the book? Sure. Well, in this book, Mary Margaret is uh, takes several journeys um, at the at the. Um, the leadership of this character named Chief of No Tribe. And uh, and so she goes on these journeys, and it's a very pivotal part of her own growth and understanding what she needs to learn to be ready to you know, do what she came here to do, which she still doesn't know what it is, but she's been working at it so long she's ready. <laughs> and uh, so... <laughs> So that so that those journeys then became something that others wanted to actually take themselves. And so I okay. created the journey so that you could actually, you already know the characters, you already know the setting after you've read the book. Uh, so you can really get into it more easily. Sometimes shamanic journeying takes a lot of practice for people, but having that ability to go in through the guided part, when you know these characters, it's easier to get in. So um, that, you know, that was my intention. I later... Um, read from many people that you didn't need uh, to read the book, and many people use the CD without the book, and they just imagine the characters however they imagine them, and that works too. Right, right. Now, I actually did it both ways. When I saw the CD, I was like, oh, I have to listen to this. So <laughs> I listened to it before and after I read the book, and it, it was wonderful both ways. Um, oh, good. Also, I think, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think the other thing that I was going to mention is that at the end of the book, I, I don't want to give away the ending, but I think you know what I'm talking about. And don't you dare. <laughs> to go and read the book, you'll see that that also really has a way of drawing the reader in, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Well, um, you know, what I didn't realize was I was writing it on many dimensions and many levels, and, and I, I kind of knew I was doing that, but by the time I was really at the end, I was like, wow, this is on so many levels at once. Would it even work? I was just surprised that it could possibly work. So I sent it out to about I have 12 or 13 friends, and they were all people that I knew would either tell me that, you know, um, that they would either, I would know if they were lying or they'd tell me the truth, one of the two. <laughs> and they they were reading it, and they were, they were writing back within 24 hours saying, you know, I couldn't put it down. Can I bootleg a copy and give it to a friend? And, you know, within a wow. month we had like 35 readers before it was ever published. So... Uh, wow. That was that was very encouraging that I actually pulled it off because <laughs> I wasn't sure. Right. <laughs> well, that actually uh, makes me wonder also a little bit about your process because it is um, the plot is so intricately structured, um, and yet it's also so very organic. And um, just you know, I'm wondering, did you sort of have a plan <laughs> regarding plot when you sat down to write it, or did you just let it um, happen? <laughs> Uh, well, it, it um, all I can say is that the end of the book is true. That piece is true. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So, so <laughs> we won't give it away, but um, but uh, it you know I I had to I had to follow the story in order to understand how how can I possibly bring these concepts into absolute everyday reality so that it's not pie in the sky and it's not far-fetched and people don't have to take a leap of faith, um, which the main character won't take a leap of faith, as you know, throughout the book. She's like, you know, right. I'm not going there. <laughs> um, so so I had to track, you know, in that way. Um, but But honestly, there were things, literally, I thought I was done with the book and I made a discovery that kind of ricocheted throughout the whole book literally in 15 minutes before I was about to hand it out to people and I immediately went back and changed everything so that it fit. So oh my uh, it God. was very dynamic. It was very dynamic. And, it, you know, it went, people think I'm the main character, but I'm absolutely not. Um, and, well, and, uh, and that's, yeah. Well, I know, people <laughs> say, yeah, but you are. Clear. But there, there, are some peop- there are some parts of it that are really, really true. And I always say I write for me. So I used it for my own personal growth. So some of the really intense parts I used on my, on, you know, used as my own growth. And sometimes that surprised me, you know, because I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. And there were times, I swear, I quit the book 35 times at least. I just said, I'm not <laughs> doing this. This is too close to home. I'm not doing this. <laughs> um, well, how long did it take you? That one took about two years. I have another one that took 11 years, and I started it before oh, 100 Ways to Sunday. But that one only took about two, thankfully. It was, And it was a very full, very full two years. <laughs> okay, okay. And do you sometimes work on more than one at a time? No, I can't. No. I can, you know, I, I can barely do anything else when I'm writing. Um, like, for example, my book, Venus for a Day, I was writing that when my um, my husband, Brian, had recently come to be with me. And because uh, we're, you know, we haven't been, this is our second marriage for each of us. And uh, and he literally would, would bring me food in the morning and at lunch and at dinner. And I, I wrote for 18 hours uh, wow. know, right, over and over cool. and over again. I actually lost my eyesight, part of my eyesight to it. Um, it was oh the price I paid. But, but. You know, so the challenge for me is to try to write this kind of fiction at the same time as do anything else. It, I'm not very good at it. I, I tried it with one book, and it's okay, but it's not as good. Well, it's wonderful that you can immerse yourself like that. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I could today. You, you couldn't, yeah. <laughs> no, not with what's going on in my life, no. 
Okay, more uh, activity, huh? Yes, yes. Um, I was wondering, well, I, I know that's one of the things that I noticed about you when um, I was looking through your website and your books and your articles and your videos and your <laughs> everything that you do. I just thought, my gosh, how does she do it all? Um, so I, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, actually, you know, that might be a good question. How do you do all of those different things? Um, do you have a secret? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um People have been asking me that a lot lately, and uh, and I don't know. Maybe you just kind of get used to doing stuff all the time. Um, I'm, I, I, but I do work from early in the morning until uh, until I can't go anymore most days. Um, and you know, that's that. You could say I'm a workaholic if you really want to be, you know, pathological about it. <laughs> but the truth <laughs> is, is that this is, you know, this is what I feel the time is for. That you know, we're here now to do all we can to, to, you know, usher in some kind of change in this world. Uh, and it's, it's desperately needed. And anybody who can do anything, I feel, you know, get out there and do it. So. I think that just drives me, and uh, and you know I get exhausted. There's no doubt about it, and I take time off. You know, I think when we first talked, I was taking five weeks off, so I also right. do that, um, and I, I do take care of myself. But it seems to be I'm a, I'm a sprinter, and then I have to rest. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's that's good. That makes sense. Um, I was wondering if you could explain what it means to be a contemporary shaman. Hmm. Probably not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but well, I could take a stab there, at it. <laughs> could you um, make a distinction between contemporary I shamanism do. and older forms? I do. I do. Um, there's a couple of different answers. One is is that you know shamanism has been found throughout all times and all cultures. And so what what we are tapping into as a shaman today you know, many people think more recent Native American or more recent Indigenous, and there's a lot of conflict in that because the uh, there's you know there's people who feel like you know these white people stole everything, and now this white girl saying she's a shaman, and and they get right. deeply offended by that, and and I understand that, I understand that actually very well, and. One of the reasons I say I'm a contemporary shaman is to distinguish myself. I am not a traditional shaman that you might necessarily think about from one of our indigenous cultures. I can't be. I was, you know, I was raised in the city. I'm not I can't possibly be that. And I'm not going to take someone else's tradition and try to make it my own. So I I have to find my own tradition. I have to, you know, um embody what I actually know. But I also know that it goes way 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 further back than than those stories that are currently you know causing the conflict right now and i really believe that every every person has a shamanic element to them as their birthright i do not believe everyone's supposed to be a shaman you wouldn't want to be a shaman unless you're called to be a shaman it's way too hard <laughs> but i do believe we have elements of it as our birthright because we're human and this has been with the human experience since human began you know so mm-hmm. so that's where I, I use the distinction um first of all to open up the question because i think it's an important question and also to honor those traditional indigenous peoples who were traditional shamans that i could never be okay that's that's great thank you 
Um, I want to make sure that we have time for you to read something. So um, I was wondering if you could read maybe the opening passage from that night with Julie. And um, I just want to say before you start that um, the article originally appeared in Natural Beauty and Health magazine, and it's also on your Be Who You Are website if somebody wants to go and uh, finish reading it. Is that correct? Yeah, BeWhoYouAre.com, and it's under articles, so pretty easy to find. Oh, terrific. Thank you. All right, so you want me to just start? Yes, please. Okay. <clears throat> you know, got to get ready. <laughs> You're Robin Rice, the young, dark-haired woman asked me. We were in line, signing in for an open mic poetry reading at the local bookstore, I'm not exactly a household name, but as I am an author, some people know of my work. Given my own off mood, I was prepared to put on a polite smile. One look into this young woman's deeply troubled face, and I knew this was not the tack to take. You don't have to be psychic to know what kind of face that is. You only have to have been there yourself. This woman child was on the edge of her own life and looming towards a jump. Yes, I answered. I hear you know something about depression, she said, looking at me with both need and suspicion. Her name was Julie, and as it turned out, her mother knew someone who knew someone else who had been depressed and come to me for mentoring. I've always been willing to share my story about overcoming 25 years of recurring depression, but this night I didn't have much to give. It was tempting to hand her my card to tell her to give me a call. Something inside said, talk to her now. Tomorrow may not come. We both had our hot drinks and our names were well down the list for performing our poems. We agreed to move to two comfy chairs in relative solitude. An eerie feeling came over me, as if everyone else in the store had disappeared. It was just me, Julie, and a lot of books. Visions of my little brother Ricky flashed in front of my eyes. He had been where Julie was when he was 18 years old. I hadn't lived close enough to see the desperation in his eyes, and it was still hard to admit I had not heard it in his voice on the phone only days before his suicide. My body trembled. Something in this encounter was beginning to feel like a possible redemption. Even though my life was already devoted to helping others, this felt different. This was youth in its prime and beauty, yet with no vision, no sense of the value in living, no future to walk towards. I didn't know how to address such a travesty. I could only hope my best would be enough. You must be willing to recover your soul, I said. She looked at me blankly. I decided to start again. If you want to live a soulful life, which is the only way I know to truly relieve depression, you must be willing to be who you really are, to look at the world through different eyes than the ones you've been trained to use your whole life. You must be willing to drop to a deeper level of existence, a level that is pleading to you through the worst of your days, asking you to listen to it. You must be willing to look for the legend that is trying to be told in your own life. I took another deep breath, surprised at the lofty nature of my own words, but unwilling to tone them down. Something was unraveling in me. It was going to have its say. To live a soulful life, you must be willing to not fit in. Because if you are this deeply hurt at life by this young an age, you don't fit in. You never will, at least not in the usual ways. I'm sorry if that disappoints you, but we might as well be honest. 
what the surface level of life is selling you will never satisfy your kind. That's okay. It's never satisfied a lot of the most amazing people that ever lived. Julie pulled out a small notebook of her purse and began writing. It encouraged me to go on. To live a soulful life, you must be willing to stand alone, up against what everyone and everything in our society tells you is right for you, and ask what your heart wants, what your very being desires. You have to be willing to love who you really love, not who you are supposed to love. I shifted toward her, lowering my voice to deliver the greatest of secrets. Let me tell you something. When people come to see me, I ask them who and what really turns them on. What calls them to their depths? Most often they say, I don't know, but I don't buy it. They do know. It's just that their answers are not on the good for you or easily attainable list. Or they don't know how to get what they truly love without losing something else they think their life depends upon. So they've shoved what they love into a closet and often forgotten it entirely. These loves are really callings. They are the pearls of great price we must travel to the ends of the earth for. But very few among us talk about that heroic journey anymore, so very few actually embark upon one. If you want to live a soulful life, you must be willing to listen for that call and follow it whatever the cost. I saw a light sparkle in Julie's eyes. I could see her rummaging through her memories, then finding something of worth. I didn't need to know what she found. I trusted it, whatever it was. To live a soulful life, you must be willing to encounter obstacles. We live in an age where people think that the smooth road is a sign that they are on the right road, that God has called you to something, but barriers arise, then either you've been abandoned or you must have gotten the call wrong in the first place. It's not so. These very barriers are also the hand of God, preparing you to receive the bounty. You would not be wise enough to keep what you find otherwise. It's worked this way throughout history and in every corner of the world. Every modern invention we have will not change those rules. Just ask Joseph Campbell, one of my closest personal friends. I thought he was dead, Julie remarked, surprising me that she knew of him at all. His body is, I admitted, but his soul lives on here in this bookstore and countless personal and public libraries across the world. To live a soulful life, you must be willing to make friends with your kind of people in whatever way you can. I never meet my kind of people, she said, her eyes flashing with both profound sadness and fresh-cut anger. That's my point. I don't meet them very often either, but they can be found here, I said, pointing toward the vast array of books along the shelves. David White is one of my greatest soul supports, though I've never met him. Annie Dillard, too, and Arnie Mandel and Thomas Moore and Rilke and Kipling and Krishnamurti. I tell you, Lao Tzu and all his translators often keep me company late at night when the 3 a.m. witching hour strikes me dead awake in an empty house. I don't have to have tea with them to feel their presence, to not feel so alone. They are my people. Time and space matter little to the soul. Julie sighed. I knew she wanted better than that. I often do, too. But life is what it is. Real hands to hold are not always available. Oh, thank you. That was a great reading. <laughs> I loved it when I read it on the page, and I like it better now. <laughs> oh, good. Good, good, good. Yeah. It's a very um, powerful I, story for me, you know, because it, it's based it is, on it's truth. True. Right, right. Uh, and it, it's amazing, too, because, um, you know, it was an encounter with a young girl. How, how old was she? 
oh, I don't know, 16, 17, 18. It's part fiction and part true, so I kind of put it all together to create a a living fiction story out of it. Right, right. Um, But I just think that the lessons um, that can be learned from that article are, you know, really things that we need to keep learning over and over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they, you know, they're they're great for older people too. Uh, not that I'm old, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but, but I think we all right. need to hear that that it's normal. Yeah. You know that that right. if you truly do have this deeper soulful existence, there's lots of people who are going to feel this way, and you're not the one person singled out of the rest of the universe that that feels this way. It's actually incredibly common for anyone with depth. Right. Well, you know, one of the things that fascinates me about it is um, how you talk about the barriers and um, how they're there to prepare us to receive the bounty. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, what those barriers might look like and how they can prepare a person for their bounty. Well, you know, I mean, we look at our stars and, and our young rock stars are on drugs a lot of times. Why? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, what kind of maturity do you have to handle the world looking at you and saying you have everything? You know, you now have fame, you have looks, you have money, you have people adoring you, you have everything that you're supposed to want and you already have it. And and if you're not happy still, because they don't tell you that, you know, living soulfully uh, is is also on the menu. They, They leave that part out. So you're supposed to be happy. Um, but until you've developed that soul and until you've struggled against yourself and you've found out what is true for you and what is not true for you, um, then you know all that, all that quote-unquote wealth and all the things that you want, they're going to feel empty. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, I am going to change the subject just a little bit because sure. we don't have a whole lot of time left and there was something I really wanted to ask you. Um, in your article, Spirituality and the New Feminism, you uh-huh. talk about discovering a new kind of feminism that's more freeing than the old feminism and um, you kind of indicate that the older forms of feminism are still based on more of a masculine paradigm. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what the new feminism is and how you discovered it and how it differs from the more traditional branches of feminism? Mm. Well, I took a real risk in talking about new feminism, and, and I try to start <laughs> out the article by saying, look, I know you paved the way for me. I'm not saying I'm not disrespectful. Oh, I'm not disrespectful right. of no, that. You know, um, but, but uh, you know, in, in my mind, you know, feminism, um, the feminism that I saw still seemed harsh. And I didn't see myself as a terribly harsh person, or, or I, didn't, I didn't feel like fighting um, it, it felt like it needed to be something else. So for me, the spirituality of the feminine, um, and not that there isn't a real fierceness to that, because there is. There's a, but it's a different kind of fierceness. I don't, I can't quite describe it other than to say it feels like it's a, a holistic as opposed to a striking back or a, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to prove it. It's more like an I know it and I embody it strength. Um, and, and so I experienced that through the many teachings of the goddesses. And, you know, I, when I first encountered, you know, goddess mythology and all of that, I was like, oh, no, 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 not that ooey-gooey, weird, you know, they're they're ugly and they're they're not even real and, you know, all that. I was very skeptical of all that. But, but the lessons that they brought to me about being a woman and the power of women um, just bowled me over. It just, it was, it made sense to my soul. 
Okay, great. Thank you. Um, I want to ask a question that kind of relates to the passage that you read but is not directly from it. Um, it actually um, comes from your article, Living by Magic, and you state in that article that in order to live by magic, you have to open yourself up to grief. And I was wondering if you could elaborate just a little bit on how a person can open themselves up to grief and why it's beneficial in the soul work. Yeah, you ask such big questions. Um, I'm <laughs> sorry, I, just, I have this no, it's with you and I want to use it. <laughs> um, I, I'd love to, I'm just trying to be concise. Um, grief, we all have grief. It, it's just part of us, and we all resist it, you know. Um, it's like we're resisting a shot in the arm, and, you know, we, uh, who wants to do that? But But when we open to grief, when we just say, okay, yes, life includes loss, and I have some of that. And and what does that mean for me? And how do I do that? And we allow the things that have been stripped away from us to be stripped away and to be raw and to be vulnerable with that. Something new has a, a way to come in. We're hollowed out. That article, you know, Living by Magic, you know, is hollowing us out. And so instead of being tight and holding on to make sure we don't feel that grief, if we open to it, um, naturally, don't go looking for it, but open to the ones, the grief that we actually have, you know, and and say, okay, it is gain and it's loss. It's both. It's a cycle. Life is a cycle. You know, circle of life, Lion King, basic stuff. You know, um, right? But we're not taught that in our culture. We're taught that it's all good. It's all supposed to be great. It's all supposed to be light and love. And there's no, you know, there's no shadows in here. No, no, there aren't. And there are. And so when we open to that, then we actually have a, a possibility of living holistically and being imperfect and just getting on with our lives instead of forever fixing ourselves. It's like, yeah, okay, my little brother committed suicide. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. You can't fix that. You can't bring him right. back to me. Oh, I don't right. care what story you give me. That is a that is a part of me now. It is part of my soul. And, I, I, and I, I'm not... I'm not uh, I'm not devastated by it anymore, but it's the landscape of my soul. Wow. You know, and, and I, I Yeah, I mean that's what I and I want it to be because it was mine to go through. I went through it. I loved him dearly. I still love him dearly. And I don't want to let go of that and I don't want to heal from that and I don't want to pretend it's possible to heal from that. I, I'm just gonna be who I am because of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's that's just an amazing answer. Thank you so much. Sure. Um, well, you know, I wish we could talk more. I had so many other questions, but we are out of time. And um, since it's the end, I just wanted to know if you have any upcoming events or publications or anything that you'd like to announce. Mm, I've got lots of things going on. Awesome Women Hub is going on tour. I'm very excited about that. I've got a new Daily Ohm course coming out February 28th, which is absolutely powerful. It's called, I think it's going to be called The Most Beautiful You Ever, and it's about healing beauty and body issues. You can go to oh. Venus. You can go to venusforaday.com and get one of my novels free as a PDF. If you don't mind reading it as a PDF, it's yours for the taking, venusforaday.com. And uh, right. just join me on Facebook at uh, Robin Rice's Be Who You Are or the Awesome Women Hub, and you'll find out about everything. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. It was wonderful talking thank to you. Thank you. And, uh, fabulous answers to everything. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, nice. Okay, well, I'd just like to thank those of you who are listening in tonight and those of you who are listening after the fact as well. Our next interview will be with author, 
architect and filmmaker Anthony Lawler at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on February 21st. As well, we are currently accepting submissions for Teferit's 2011 writing contest in the categories of fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. For more information or to enter the contest, please visit our website at www.teferitjournal.com. A year subscription to Teferit is $18 and includes six issues, two print and four digital. The site is also a great place for readers and listeners to post their own poetry since our editors feature one new poem each day from those who post. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. We hope you'll join us again in February.